Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. Some of us are very disconnected from rituals, old rituals, ancient rituals, sacred rituals. And sometimes that's because the rituals cease to have meaning. I and mean, if we're going to do a ritual, we want to do a ritual that brings meaning and purpose to our lives. And sometimes it's because we may have done rituals many times and they've lost their meaning because we just do them in a kind of perfunctory way. And yet there's an amazing power to ritual. And it seems as a contemporary culture, we may have lost our relationship with that power. In the Torah, in Numbers 19, Parshat Chukat, there is this incredibly mysterious ritual of the para aduma, the red heifer. The red heifer that is, that is taken uh, it has to be completely pure and unblemished and it's slaughtered and then it's burned completely and then its ashes become a ritual of purification involving uh, hyssop branches that are dipped into some kind of liquefied ash substance and pure, it's, it's, no one really knows what it means I mean there's lots of people who've attempted to understand it but no one really understands it so to help me unpack the mysterious world of ritual, ancient and modern ritual. Uh, I'm here with, uh, and so lovely to see a, a lovely old friend, known each other for over 20 years, um, who uh, is a reverend, <laughs> the, the very reverend, or the, the no, reverend, just the, just the reverend, the reverend uh, Marielsa Bragg, um, who is also a, an author and has recently published a, a wonderful book, which I admit I have not yet read, but I have read <laughs> extracts of it, called Towards Melbrick, which really is in some ways very much about ritual and creativity and imagination. So that's going to be our conversation. Hello, Mariosa. Hello. Good to be with you on this podcast. I've been enjoying listening to yours. Thank you. It's good, yeah. to, good to be with you too. Mm. So what's, what's the first thing you think about when you think of, of, of ritual? What does it evoke for you, the world of ritual? Well, the first thing I think about when I'm talking to you is uh, remembering um, when we used to study at Leo Beck and how we were trying to uh, find out what the stories were in rituals. I remember pulling apart the Amidah and uh, we were talking about it last night. I remember trying to work out the um, reasons why you went up on your heels when you said the holy, holy, holy. and. Um, and finding out that there were stories of angels that didn't have heels so that you were standing like an angel to reach them when you were singing their chorus and things like that. So I remember vividly 20 years ago when I was studying Jewish mysticism and festivals and you were trained to be a rabbi. Um, we were kind of really pulling them apart and looking at the different stories and the sort of history of them. And I think rituals bring an extraordinary ancestry that talk to us through really creative stories. Mm. Mm. So you think for a ritual to be authentic there must be a story attached to it? Um, yeah, actually, I, I haven't thought about it like that, but I think so. You can make a modern ritual, but you would need a reason for it. 
um, because the ritual itself is an offering, isn't it? So um, just in this extraordinary text that we're looking at today, um, there's a, a, the ritual is a, an offering that then in turn becomes a cleansing. The first thing you do, I think, in a ritual is offer yourself up or your gesture up. Um, even if it's a very simple one where you're literally just offering yourself and you're making yourself available, um, the, the, the simplicity of that is still a kind of essence of story, I would say. Mm-hmm. I guess that particular ritual is also very much connected to the, the, the narrative about different types of um, states, different ritual states, in order to be, have access to, to the tradition. There, there are periods of, uh, I mean, I've talked about this before, but you know the the cleanliness, uncleanliness. You know, I talked about this a lot in a podcast previous one I made mm-hmm. about holiness. But but the, but that the, the part of the narrative is about the people performing performing mm-hmm. the ritual. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering then if, if if ritual and narrative, and and therefore of course imagination, which we can talk a bit more about in a little moment. But if narrative storytelling is so important uh, to ritual, I mean we. We were talking about this earlier. I mean, we we've just, as cultures, we're just we're just telling ourselves terrible stories at the moment. And if we tell ourselves terrible stories of cultures, if we we just, you know, just the the, the violence and the, and the the hatred and the intolerance and the ways in which we dismiss other people's sacred traditions in this, like you were saying, or in this superficial way, we don't, we don't we're not willing to explore the richness of narrative that might be there, and so we. We kind of create these awful stories, and if we create awful stories, it seems obvious that we can't really have healthy rituals. I think you're right. I think you're right, and I think um, what that is is the problem with dogma. No matter where you are, whether you're in the literary world or the religious world, looking at everything superficially and deciding that there's one distinct meaning of it. It's like people who look at old fairy tales and decide that they're just violent and they're not really talking about anything else. So I think being able to enter into a story in a kind of poetic way um, or in a way of a manner of exploring, uh, allowing your imagination to work in its own right without having reason come in and take over is really at the essence of ritual. Mm. But I think ritual does something else because it involves, and and the, the text we're looking at today is really interesting for me because it even numbers the days, day three, day seven, a week here, you're not allowed to be touched here. And what it seems to me is that ritual carves out the land and it carves out time and it says all of this is something for us to be conscious of. Days, weeks, being touched, not being touched, um, being clean. What, uh, I, don't, I really am interested in what this means, what, what being clean is in this context because it's a very sacred unclean. You've touched the, the, uh, the offering. so. The idea of being unclean is being in a very sacred place, perhaps untouchable because you're so vulnerable and you're so connected. If you're close to death, you're close to life, you're close to God, you're close to your soul passing on. So perhaps what that means is that the veil is very thin, don't be touched because uh, uh, you, you might actually be having a very deep spiritual experience, perhaps it's a place of retreat. But even then it's carved out, it's like carving out the land and the time and our lives. And it's asking us to look at life with a completely different perspective to this watch-ridden, daily, 
um, calendar activity that we like to think is normal. I don't think it is. I think it turns it on the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, they are intri- the, the the notion of being clean or unclean, pure or impure, uh, uh, and how they relate to acts of ritual. I mean, it's sort of to me it, it asks a question like if we're if we're really serious about our rituals do we have to ask ourselves first if we are in you know fit spiritual states in order to perform those rituals you know if we may not be sprinkling each other with with the ashes of a you know sacrificed red heifer yeah. but you know are there ways in which we prepare ourselves to perform certain certain rituals and of course the remnants of that in both of our traditions in probably every tradition I mean mm-hmm. certainly I know in the in the Muslim tradition the the ablutions of washing hands and feet before before entering entering prayer and in mm-hmm. the Jewish tradition that the, the hand washing when we first wake up in the morning is the same right you know the first thing we're supposed to do I mean traditionally we're supposed to actually Sleep with a with a bowl of, of of water by our beds, and the first thing we, as soon as we're aware of being awake, we're supposed to like wash our hands. And what we're actually washing off is because the rabbis say that sleep is one sixtieth of death. Uh, in the Talmud, it says sleep is one sixtieth of death, and therefore we've 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 touched death while we've been sleeping. We've tasted mm-hmm. death, and so we're that force of death. In the same way that we, in the passage that we that we studied together, that, that there's this idea that. It is the energy that comes around death that mm. makes someone unfit for, to, to be the ritual leaders because essentially the Kohanim, the priests, were the ones who were facilitators of the ritual. Mm. So we too, we're, if we're doing rituals in our lives, we, we're, it's like how do we prepare ourselves? I mean, maybe it's a, a simple act like hand washing, but I think there are other ways that we can enter into those states because like we're saying, I mean, that the, there's stories that go around even those ritual states. They can't... And if we create a dogma about it and we say, oh, you're unclean, and if we make it a value judgment, for instance, about a woman who's menstruating and say mm-hmm. she's unclean and therefore we can't touch her, she's like a pariah. And that's not, I don't think that's what the Torah means at all. Mm-hmm. The Torah is just defining exactly as you said, this idea that there are times that we're very much in community, mm-hmm. in our power, mm-hmm. leading ritual, and there are times where we're, we're on retreat. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that idea, there are times we're on retreat. You're right, and we all need retreat. Priests, I mean, anyone in their life need to retreat to the to the top of the mountain or into the cave for a while. The trouble is, we've we've abused the word retreat. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of organisations they say we're going to have a retreat, and really, it's a, it's a, a long business Workshop. meeting in a different venue. You know, yeah. we go out of our normal venue and we just discuss a, our strategic plan or something, and we'll call it a retreat. But I don't think that's what you mean. It's not what I mean no, by retreat. The old traditional word of retreat word of retreat is not going for a rest. It's going to meet Jamaica, isn't yeah. it? It's going to, to, to really go into your inner world uh-huh. and meet God and look at your look at your soul. Mm-hmm. You know, retreat can be cathartic and mm-hmm. difficult and moving and you know, it's all about in a way it's all about love really, isn't it? It's all about being in love, giving yourself space to be in love. Um, knowing that that relationship of love is so much bigger than we ever imagine it to be and allowing yourself to encounter it. But I'm interested in the idea of the cleansing with water because certainly, you know, as a, as a priest, before I do the Eucharist, I have to wash my hands and do cleansing prayers. And, um, and I, I love the idea of washing our hands and, and the idea of sleep being washed away as a portion of death. Um, 
but m my feeling is, is that somehow this superficiality has come into the idea of the cleansing and the idea of cleansing with water. Because traditionally, in, in, in our traditions, the, uh, the idea of water has been a life-giving elixir. It's the fountain of life. It's not only are our bodies a large percent of water, but, but that there's a sense of a real life force coming through it. So it's a bit like, um, yes, we touch death regularly in our lives, but in order to come back, we need to drink again. Mm and to, to come into life anew, and that we always are being made anew every day, every, every moment that we allow ourselves to become awake to this Alexia that's always being poured over us. We're allowed to be forgiven, we're allowed to walk forward, we're allowed to become more ourselves and, and, and grow in life. And I think that that part of a cleansing ritual is so important because people often find cleansing as something that shuts them down, makes them feel bad. They are dirty, therefore they have to be cleaned. And when you're cleaned, you're kind of fit for life, rather than invited to move forward and to grow more into who you are, being, being drawn, being called, as we all are, into, into growing into this water of life. I think these symbols are ancient, but they can be taken either superficially or abused by power to kind of control us all. And then we have to be careful to reclaim them. But you were saying something earlier about, which is really interesting, about how um, rituals have to be almost reimagined into by every generation. Otherwise, they become sort of stagnant and have old dogmatic ways. Can you tell me? Well, more that's about that's that? what I was really curious about when we were at the beginning. We were talking about the idea that. Of, you know, I asked you the question for for a ritual to be authentic. Does it have to have a narrative yeah. a story attached to it? And you said yes. And then I was thinking, like, well, w what if in order to keep a ritual alive, we have to recreate the narratives that go with the rituals? Mm. So you know, is that a legitimate thing for us as faith leaders to to to, to do? You know, I mean, there's a certainly in, in the Jewish tradition, in well, in in some parts of the Jewish tradition, there's a there's a little Hesitancy, not a little hesitancy, you know, within Orthodox and conservative. I mean, there's this idea that the, the the ritual has been handed down in a certain way and needs to be preserved in a certain way. And obviously, I know there are parts of the Christian Church that are like that. But but just the the idea that um, that you know, my teacher Reb Zalman and the Jewish Renewal Movement brings is really that idea. There's a, a in Hasidism. There's a concept of chit chadshut, which means renewal, and renewal is really bringing new life into the old forms. We, ha we have to bring new life into the old forms. Mm. And so whether that's about telling a different story but still performing the same ritual or whether it's creating new rituals and new stories that come with the new rituals, I'm not sure. But I, I, I think, um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think a, a good example would be some of the rituals that, that feel so earth-based some of some of our rituals, like uh, sitting in a sukkah or mm. taking the, the 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 four species, the the lulav and the etrog and the the willow branches and the myrtle branches, and you know these are, are clearly ancient rituals, and the story attached to them was certainly about fertility, certainly about um, praying for rain. Uh, there were you know it was about taking you know, but we do them sometimes in this very perfunctory way. But now that we 
you know, live in a in a in a world where our climate is 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 changing and where the earth is so threatened to to reimagine those rituals as being actually rituals that can help us rebalance the earth, mm. for instance, you know, to see the the idea that the the lulav, the penetrating symbol of the lulav is that that big, uh, you know, a palm branch is something that connects heaven and earth and, and connecting heaven and earth. We're sort of like praying for our planet and asking, you know, for God's abundant flow to, to, to heal up, you know, all these. So there are definitely ways to, which are not, uh, I mean, obviously our, our global reality is very, very different to the ancient world. They, they, you know, who who really, who knew, uh, in a sense, that the story was a little simpler. They knew that if they were going to live, there needed to be the right kind of moisture so that their their plants could grow, you know, and that the produce could grow and that they could feed feed the the community, you know, and so that 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 some of the the rituals were really around that, saying we need water, we need rain, we need dew in the summer, we need, you know, yeah. um, we we live in a world of abundance where we take for granted some of some of what the the earth produces but i think that's one way in in which ritual can can be re reclaimed or the a slightly different story being told and maybe can you think yeah, of examples what you've done there is such a beautiful example of it really because what you've done is you've told the old story of the ritual and then you've brought it into the new context or environment and um, you know the the fears we have of what's happening in the world right now but you've linked you've linked the two, and so I mean I think rituals are very real, um, uh, and they're for us to enter into life with, and so you know the sukkah is just so so beautiful. But it is asking us to enter into nature, and entering into nature at this point in history is entering into a nature that's not being listened to, and that is needing more of our care, not so much of asking for this balance to happen with something that's beyond our reach. It's actually something we now have a much more direct involvement with nature. We have more responsibility somehow. So entering into the shade of leaves and living under it really very much in nature has a different connotation. But if we don't tell the stories of our histories, we don't remember them and we don't learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't also remember that whilst we're doing this extraordinary ritual, we're doing it with hundreds and hundreds of other people who've done it before us. Because in every ritual, and in every real faith, there is a timeless, there's a timeless layer to it. Mm-hmm. Somehow we're all doing it together. And the more we add our prayers, the more it kind of fills outside of time. And hopefully the more we get to really hear the land around us. Mm. I mean, mis- you know, in mystically, I mean, the, the, you know, the Arizal, the Rabbi Isaac Glorious Fat. I mean, he said that every time we, we perform a, a, a ritual with the right consciousness, we we're changing the, the cosmos, mm, and that's the power of ritual. I think that's the power of ritual, the power of prayer. Um, I absolutely believe that power of love. I mean, it's a, it's, it, it is a profound thing, and I think one of the really uh, strong parts of ritual is that it's very embodied. Mm. And so we, we, we find that not only our minds and our hearts and our souls are involved in it, not only our memories of history and our ancestors and our culture are involved in it, but our bodies um, are really honoured as the conduits um, for, for holding that relationship with each other and with God. 
and I think that the physical side of it is sort of slightly not noticed, even though we are walking three steps forward and three steps back and bowing to either side. I don't know um, that the, the physical side isn't often kind of loved as much as the um, liturgical. Almost embarrassed by it somehow. Almost. And and I think religious traditions were clearly very very much more embodied than they are today, mm. and that's that's a great loss I think. Mm. Mm. Do, you, do you have to, 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 just in closing? I'm wondering if you have a a favorite ritual or, or something that you think has has particular power in your own personal practice. Oh, in my own personal practice, well, I'm I'm I've been introduced here as a priest, so I'm going to have to say the Eucharist. Um, which is obviously the Passover ritual, um, and uh, I continue to not know what that means, and continue to feel the pain of the history of how it's been misused, and the wonder of the mystery of how it has fed um, many people and allowed kind of the veils to be drawn back somehow um, throughout both of our histories for, um, you know, when when Jesus was a good Jew <laughs> <laughs> and through our traditions that have grown alongside each other, brother and sister. Well, beautiful, a, a beautiful kind of almost as everything you say is it's kind of a poem and a prayer at the same time, I feel like. And I... I feels like a lovely closing to say you know yes we we practice different faith traditions but like ultimately we are brothers and sisters and mm. may it be that the rituals that we practice in our own lives and mm. empower and teach other people to practice really do bring healing mm. and, and and more more love and and some great stories mm. yeah. Thank you. may it be amen Thank you for listening to A Dash and Drush, we will see you next time.